Hi, I'm Tim Marlowe, the Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts in London. You're listening to a podcast from our events programme, recorded live in the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Good evening and welcome to the Royal Academy of Arts. My name is Jessica Rutterford and I'm the Adult Learning Programmer here. I'm delighted to introduce tonight's panel discussion titled, Where Are We Now? Reflections on the Nude in the Arts. This evening, the themes discussed have been formed and will spring, be springboarding from our exhibition called Renaissance Nude, currently on show in our Sackley Galleries on the other side, which, if you haven't already visited, I strongly recommend you doing so. So a bit about our panel. Um, tonight it includes Professor Mary Beard, OBE, contemporary artist Jemima Staley, and Professor Adrian Rifkin, as they investigate how we depict, look at, and respond to the nude across historical and contemporary arts. The event tonight will be chaired by Jackie Klein. I'll leave Jackie to introduce the speakers in more detail, but a little bit more about herself. So Jackie is an art historian, publisher, and broadcaster. She's worked as curator at the Barbican, Courtauld, and Hayward Galleries, before moving into publishing as commissioning editor at Thames and Hudson, subsequently working at Fiden Press, Tate, and Heaney Publishing. As a broadcaster, she's presented short films for the Art Fund, Christie's, Tate and Bloomberg TV, and co-presented Britain's Lost Masterpieces for BBC Four. She's a regular contributor to a range of BBC Arts TV and radio programmes, including Radio 4's Front Row. This evening, Jackie will be taking the Renaissance Nude exhibition as a starting point and asking our panel to discuss society's stance on the nude and how artists and creatives represent it today. So a little bit of formalities before we begin. Um, please note that there will be time for an audience Q&A at the end of the discussion, so please do wait until then for the roaming mic to be brought around if you do have a question. So without further ado, please do join me in welcoming all panellists to the stage. Thanks ever so much, Jessica, for that introduction, and thank you all for being here. So as Jessica said, we are delighted to be here tonight, taking the Renaissance Nude exhibition as our jumping-off point to look much more at how modern society and modern artists, contemporary artists, have dealt with the subject of the nude, and even why, perhaps, they've dealt with that subject. Um, she's mentioned already our stellar panel, but just to give you a little bit more of a brief introduction, Mary Beard is the Royal Academy's Professor of Ancient Literature. She's a professor of classics at Cambridge University, where she's also a fellow of Newnham College. And her books, as many of you will know, include Confronting the Classics, Women in Power, and SPQR. And as you also know, she's presented a number of programmes for BBC uh, television, including Civilizations and Front Row Late. And she's currently working, among many of her projects, on a two-part series on the nude uh, for the BBC, which is due out next year. Adrian, at the end here, Adrian Rifkin, is a visiting professor at Central St. Martins and emeritus professor of art writing at Goldsmiths. He has published widely in the fields of art historiography, cultural studies, and gay and queer studies, and uh, for much of the last 10 years has also added into all of that uh, lecture performances, which he's given in galleries and conferences. A collection of his essays was published by Haymarket Books in 2018, and a big book, Interdisciplinary Encounters, Hidden and Visible Explorations of the Work of Adrian Rifkin was published in 2014, reflecting, I think, his importance, the importance of his contribution, particularly to interdisciplinary studies of art and culture. Jemima Staley um, 
on our last panellist, uh, received her BA and her MA from Goldsmiths College, and since the 90s has used her own naked body as the basis for her art, as a way particularly, as I'm sure we'll find out more, to explore questions about subjectivity, about the power of sexuality, and about desire in representation. She's had solo exhibitions at venues across the UK and internationally, including at Focal Point South End, the Listen Gallery and Chisenhale in London, and the Contemporary Art Gallery of Vancouver. And she is currently a lecturer on the postgraduate studies in art practice at Goldsmiths uh, London University. So without further ado, maybe Mary, I will oh. turn to you first, only because you're sitting next to me, with, in a way, the sort of the starting, the starting, short, short, I'm short, sorry, short. the starting point question, which is really, just to give us some fundamentals here, what is a nude? You know, is there a difference between the nude and a naked body, the naked body? Well, I think that's a big question, and it's the question that people have always claimed to have an answer to. Yeah. Um, and you can go back to things like Kenneth Clark's book on the nude, and you can go back before that, and you can see um, a load of, you know, perhaps say largely male art historians um, claiming a distinction between the naked and the nude. And I think that, uh, I, I mean, I think in some ways that's a distinction that we're partly here to wonder about and challenge. Because the more you look at, for me, the more you look at those hugely self-confident um, you know, protestations about, look, here's the nude, the great work of art, and here is the naked, which is kind of more tawdry, um, the less confident you feel about that mm -hmm. uh, distinction. And I, I mean, I think it's two, I suppose there's two ways that I would look at that. One is, it's a, it's a very Anglophone distinction. You know, that, that if, you, if we were working in French, we wouldn't find that there was a, that kind of distinction between the new and the new. It's, you know, whereas we are very clear about the naked and the nude. And I think the more you look at the, the art objects that are held up to our attention, and I noticed it actually going around the exhibition um, this afternoon. Uh, there's, you know, I, I don't talk about nude Christs. No. I talk about naked Christs. So mm -hmm. there's something there's something about that religious sphere that is not about nudity. Mm. It's about nakedness. Though I did notice that, uh, that in the catalogue, at least, um, we were asked to think about Jesus Christ and Saint Sebastian as nudes. Now, there's nothing actually inherently the matter with that. It's just that I was brought up slightly short by it because I thought, look, I think of St. Sebastian as naked, not nude. So what is going on in my head, with my definitions, and why do I think it's important, and why have I become you know, a little bit, not fixated, but I sort of think I know uh, what name you should put on these. Mm. And then I find someone using a different name for it. And I think, oh, so, and that's so, also... so what, you know? I, and, and so I think that, you know, really, the whole of art history 
you know, from the you know, ancient world onwards, you know, in some in some ways, has been having, you know, madly ideological, desperate, and hopeless attempts to categorise the naked body in art. Well, and obviously, a lot of the reason for people, Kenneth Clark among them, but as you know people for generations before and since the 50s have wanted to categorise the nude as a way to moralise it and, and make it more acceptable uh, rather than having it as this shocking somehow symbol. Uh, and they do that looking right back to the ancient classical world where, where in a sense the Western tradition of the naked and the nude representations. And you come across all these kind for me, you know, deeply sort of self-justificatory things. So you look at these male Greek naked statues and they say, he's not naked, he's clothed in his nudity. <laughs> and I used to write that down when I was an undergraduate. That's what boop, I wrote boop, down. Boop. I wrote it down. So, you know, now we in our essay, so he is nudity, of course, he is clothed in his nudity. You know, you know I didn't believe it for a, for a minute, but that is what we were told to think. You know, I kind, of, I kind of do believe it, Mary. <laughs> and I, I believe for slightly different... Convince me, Adrian. Yeah. Because I for slightly different reasons. Because I, I'm thinking about a very interesting essay called Nudities by the Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben. Yeah. And um, in, in a way, this, this little image, which I'm just flashing past you now, because which is the senior, one of the signorellis in the exhibition, kind of makes the point very beautifully, because what... Agamben talks about in relation to contemporary art. That's Vanessa Beecroft's installation. And artists who installed a hundred nude, naked models, but they weren't naked in the Gemalt Gallery in Berlin. They were all covered with a very fine, almost invisible skin. So it was very hard, unless you went very close to them, to see that they were covered with something. And Agamben beautifully draws that to the notion of prelapsarian nakedness as clothed in grace. So he says there are only two points in Genesis where Adam and Eve are naked. One is the point where they fall and they're no longer in grace. So they become naked and then they put the fig leaf on. And then they have another moment of nakedness when they, God gives them skins to wear and they put those on. So there are kind of two flashpoints where they're wearing nothing. But before and after that, there's no such thing as nudity and no such thing as nakedness. And that kind of, in this scenario, it's rather interesting because this guy over his butt has a little remnant of something you can see through, which is prelapsarian clothing. <laughs> it's a prelapsarian butt in a postlapsarian. <laughs> But, Image, you're not convinced. No, well, I was, I was, I mean, at the time when I learned all this rubbish, sorry, yes. when I learned this, um, we both I, was, I was convinced by it. And I remember, so there were, I, I, you know, I could write to the cows come home about male sculptor, sculptors who were clothed in their nudity yes. and then flip. And we go to the women, you know, and the women are wearing wet look drapery, as we used to call no, it. I agree with you. I agree with you in, completely. <laughs> in, you know, late 5th century, early 4th century Greek art, we say, ha, oh, oh, ha, they may look as if they're clothed, but they're really naked. And I suppose my reflecting on this, you know, 40 years on, you know, I think, you know, I was so gullible. 
You know, there were people telling me yeah. that people were naked, were really clothed, and there were women who were clothed and they were really naked. And but I bought it. But, that is but I that. think there's something quite interesting about that distinction. And I think, like, I was looking at that section, and I really loved the Cranachs. So they were really... Um, and I didn't really... I mean, I used them sort of in some way when I was thinking about my own work, but I was never that art, not aware art historically. And, and then I looked, was reading the stuff about the, in the exhibition, and there was, apparently he made this whole series where he kept, they were always wearing these hats, or, or had this sort of very thin veil. And I think there's something about, and I, in the, in, when I was making my work, actually, there were, I made a distinction between when I did wear shoes and when I didn't. And for the whole part of the early works, I was wearing shoes. And, though I, mm. and I would call those, in, I guess, the nudes, in a sense, where you're self-consciously presenting yourself. And you're aware of how you're working with desire and, and being alluring, or those kinds of things. Whereas, like, actually, I think the nakedness was kind of very different. And there was the piece that we were talking about earlier, the, the elderly bather. Mm. To me, that's a naked work where there's some kind of sense of real pathos about that body. And, and also potentially of surprise and yeah. not of the sort of poise and the presence of knowing that you are being depicted, which is sort of what many people yeah. define the nude as, as this sort of form of nakedness, but where there is a knowingness. But also as maybe just... As opposed to an element yeah. of surprise or prurience or sort of... But, but it's although, not, sorry, or, or just being present yes. in your body. Yes. I, mean, yes. I mean, there were other works mm -hmm. when I made where I was completely naked, and that's when the body for me was a functioning body like a body that's moving around doing something which is physical. Well, I was going to ask you, Jemima, rather because, than an image. because most artists, I suppose, since, say, the 60s, who have used their bodies in their work, and that covers, of course, a huge swathe of artists from the happenings to performance art to all sorts of things, um, have probably not thought of themselves in any way of, as making works in the genre of the nude, but you have, and I'm quite interested to know why you know, we know that the nude has been a presence in art for mm. probably 30,000 years. Mm. I mean, arguably back to the Willendorf Venus and to the very earliest things made mm. by man or woman. Um, <laughs> and yet here you are in the 21st century, uh, still making work, not just about the body, but very specifically about, about the art historical genre of the nude. Well, but I, I think that happened... That wasn't really a choice, actually. I think the first work that I made where I was thinking was... I was probably thinking about nakedness, in a sense, and because I, I remade the Alan Jones work, and mm -hmm. me being naked in it was a distinction, a I guess, from his work, where... Um, and so this... Yeah, it, yeah, you can kind of so see. Maybe, but just in this tell, maybe just tell us a little bit, for those who don't know the original, and then what you were trying to do in the sort of remake... So Alan Jones' work, if you don't know, he's a British pop artist, and he made a series of sculptures. So this, he made sculptures which were based on a kind of mannequin figure of a woman with an actual table. They were actual furniture, so it was a table. And in order to do that, um, like, for instance, the thigh is not the same length as your arm, so he lengthened the thigh and shortened the arm. So there was a lot of... Uh, anger in some ways about the way that he moved the, the he manipulated the woman's body and stuff but I was interested in and I didn't really realize I was interested in that work because I saw him as exposing his sexuality and that was something I was very interested in as being a very raw thing to see in work and I was concerned with getting away from a lot of theoretical readings and 
the power of sexuality in work is to kind of break your ability to see something. To yeah. To, but but so when I did it, I was I purposefully left thing. You know, like a, I don't know. There's a there's a bump on my finger, or I've hit myself with a hammer when I was making sculpture and stuff like that. So this to me is a naked woman in place of the nude, if you like. So, but having done that, and this the, I should say, just to be clear, that's you. Yeah, this is in me in the position yeah. of the the sculpture that he'd made. But having done that, then all the reactions to this was um, made me aware how problematic it was as a woman to be naked. And then, and then I started to think about the nude and what it meant to be this. Um, to have this body, actually, which was not just my body that I moved around in. Because I guess when I was making this, I was thinking about more like the work you described, work made in the 70s by men often like naked in the studio being active. And I was kind of thinking about those kinds of ways of associating the body. But having done it, then it, it kind of threw back to a much more historical thing of the nude um, and what all of that was about and that allure. And then also, I did spend a lot of my childhood going to see many, many paintings and being bombarded, really, with these naked images of women all in this kind of, that, that Cranach. Um, yeah, well, there's sort of half a dozen poses, in a way, yeah. aren't there, that have been made yeah. and remade and remade but, through art history. But it, it, doesn't it depend? I, mean, I think it's really interesting talking to you know, an artist. I mean, I only deal with dead artists, usually, so, <laughs> so I can't talk to them and ask them what they think they're doing. Um, and... So, you know, inevitably and obviously, I, you know, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from because you're engaging when you're doing something like this. You're engaging with those art historical categories. But, you know, at the same time, um, naked versus nude is a category which is used by viewers and students and academics mm. to make sense of this <laughs> plethora of images that... Um, that we see in front of us. And I think that, I mean, you're right to say that, I mean, not only are the poses the same, um, can, can we actually have the Canadian Aphrodite? Let's go back to the first Western female nude. There she is, right. Um, I mean, I've, I've put her back on so you don't see that she's doing exactly what you expect her to do. She's got her hands over her genitalia. But... I mean, I think that we we often, when we look at these ancient statues, and I know we're supposed to be talking about the modern nude now, but I think there's really, really close connections, mm. that we think of them um, as um, as kind of unproblematic. And you know, when you mm. talk about surprise, the idea that, that somehow there's a way that you're kind of surprised, that, that you can legitimate the display of the female body because you've come across mm. her or it. And, you know, we forget that, you know, we think of that, she's holding this low, large number of rags there. And, you know, we, again, you know, back to the undergraduate course, you're told her that this is actually a copy and so she needs to have that great bundle of rags in marble in order to help the bloody thing stand up. <laughs> um, but actually, it's saying is giving you the alibi of surprise. Because yes. how have you found Aphrodite? You found her 
oh my goodness me, she's just been bathing. And what's she about to do? She's just got out of her bath and she's just about to, to, to put the towel around her. And it's okay, because you, you're sort of all right to look at her because you've just come across her um, uh, totally unexpected. You know, not your fault, not her fault. And... <laughs> and but actually, the whole later history of the new, that is one of, of the naked or the new, that's one of the, the strands of argument that, that allow us to look at these things or the artist plays with. You know, here, the viewer is, I think, being slightly sent up by this, you know, this you know, radical 4th century BC sculptor who sort of knows that we're going to say, how can I look at a goddess? with no clothes on. Oh, well, it was just a, it was just a mistake. Well, and they think, well, wasn't it a mistake for Diana and Actaeon? Well, he died and, horribly and he got torn apart by the dogs. But torn no, it's not going to happen to you. So it's always Yeah, I think that's interesting because the not being torn apart like Actaeon is, is interesting because we go around this exhibition very clothed mm. and even fashionably clothed and none of us are torn apart for that. And I think that throws a very interesting question about who's abject, the audience or the yes. pictures. And on the whole, I go for us as being abject in the face of my semi-prelapsarian bum. I'm going to stick to it now, definitely. <laughs> but I just want to pick up something you said, which was about the angle with Alan Jones for shortening the limbs. And of course, that's classic procedure. That's Phidian beauty. It's you yeah. choose and bits and pieces of that. And... Um, I remember when I was, first became interested in art when I was an undergraduate, but not in art. And I used to spend ages in the Ashmolean looking at a Raphael drawing of an incredibly beautiful young man sort of doing that. And I spent hours looking at it. It was something to do. And then traced it through, as people want to be artists, still should be, to the finished painting in which he comes this grisly old warrior, you know, whose muscles have been blown up with all sorts of drugs and hormones and the huge white beard. So he looks like a kind of patriarch saving whoever it is in the middle, Jesus, I don't know who, someone in some battle from falling into the water. And it was such a, a disappointment to see that all this young man was there for was to be turned into this grisly old warrior who was completely anodyne, in fact, so it's that movement between observation and discourse and the chopping up of the body and the selecting of the best bits, which makes that aspect of history art look like a whole process of butchery. You know, the way in which you put together the best possible news at nude is the way in which the Hampstead butcher puts together its posh window. <laughs> and the, the, well, they, you know, and, that, and that is precisely, I'm sorry to bang on about the plastic no, no, Greeks, but that's precisely their story. Yeah. You know, how do you do, how do you make a representation of the most beautiful woman ever? You get the head of that one, the arms of that yeah. one, the bum of that one, and you put them all together, and that makes you. Yes. And, and we kind of think of those stories as sort of, you know, a bit, yeah, well, kind of curious old Greek stories, but they're, they're making exactly the Hampstead mm. Butcher Point. Yes. So, so, so the nude is a fiction. A fiction. I think that's important. Yeah, think it that's, is a fiction. Yeah. And nowhere in this exhibition is that let on, if you like. There's no. All the catalogue they let on, it is a fiction. Yeah. And that's yeah. a point to start from and come back to, I think. I think that's but, a good uh, way to describe yes. the nude, yes. actually. 
And Adrian, just picking up on on something that you were talking about there of of the relationship between us, the audience, and the artworks. As Mm. you say, in general terms, we are usually clothed as onlookers of the news. But Jemima, I'm interested in in maybe you saying a little bit about about this piece, which I'm sure many people here will know, called Strip, from, Mm. I think, 2000, was it? Mm. Maybe just tell us a little bit about this, because this seems to me to be so much about... Well, there's different layers of audience here, because... There's the male sitters, and you can describe what they were doing, and then there's, of course, us observing both of you. But tell us a little bit about this and, and why, what, what it was that you were trying to get at in this series. Well, it, it kind of was made... This series was made pretty much as a direct response to the kind of questions that were uh, aimed at me, really, uh, the way in which I was challenged for making that work, so the previous mm. work. Um, and... And in my mind, I was just kind of still just asking the question, what is it to inhabit this body, which is, like you say, a fiction? A fiction Mm -hmm. in a way which is... And that fiction, I think, is based on all this period of painting, really. These bodies that you see kind of draping themselves, even when they're standing up straight, you know, they're kind of like this. Um, Just remind us of the premise of this. But so this is... I invited all the... The people kind of around me, and, the, and a number of people said no, but in the end it was seven. And there was, this is Dealer, strip number four Dealer, I think. And he was the first person that sold a piece of work of mine. This is st- strip number six Critic. And but they were all men that you all, asked to be involved? They were all men, and they were all men who'd already played a role in my career. So it was sort of the opposite of the casting couch thing. So it was kind of like putting... So there were already people who were kind of interested in my work and took me seriously, but then putting this ingredient, well, what happens now if I do this? Um, But they are... So I told them... I didn't want there to be any element of surprise or... um, So I would describe to them when I asked them, you come to the studio and you take a series of shots... And as every time you take a shot, then I'll wind... I have to go back and wind the camera on and come back again. And um, they take another shot. Uh, so it was a very sort of straight setup in a way, and all of these people were people who were interested. But in with each shot, work. sorry to interrupt. With each shot, you were removing another piece yes. of clothing. Yeah. And so the the premise. Well, no, 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 no. The, no I was that... just taking my clothes off. But every time they took a shot, then I would be interrupted and have to kind of wind the film. So some of them, for instance, the dealer took about four or five shots. He was like getting through it very quickly, and then. Um, Adrian, this is Adrian Searle, actually, who is... He wrote about it very interestingly in, in, yes, in The yeah. Guardian, didn't he, about and he, how was, awkward it felt. Yeah, but he was also, I think, um, he took the most interesting shots because like, he was a painter, and I think he was very... Um, he was waiting for the interesting moments, actually, as I was sort of in, like... Yeah. A, a nice yes. position or something. Oh, he said he but liked he was, it when you were unbalanced. I yeah, that was, he was trying to get me yes, off guard. Yes. But it was funny because in the end, I think he thought he had the upper hand in a way. And then he really was upset by this gap in his, where his leg is showing above, between the sock and the trousers. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, it. she got, got the me. final word. <laughs> but was funny. this about the idea of, uh, broadly speaking, the clothed male viewer, the male gaze, and the female naked or nude I body. did do it with... A, there, there's, there's seven in the series, and number two I never show, and I did it with a woman. So it wasn't, it wasn't okay. a decision to do it with men. It was just... Uh, 
I did number one, and then number two was with a woman, and doing it with a woman, I realized it wasn't about that, that there was something quite particular, I felt, about um, being a woman as a heterosexual, I guess, but also operating within a, I guess, the history, like you say, of you all those images. You felt more at ease with a woman. No, no, it was something about me putting myself in that position yes, and okay. actively engaging in that traditional, I guess, yeah. role of being an object. And this is why I'm wearing those shoes as well, mm. and that's why I mentioned I'm not naked, actually. Yeah. I'm wearing these shoes, which are... Uh, they were kind of bought in a sex shop, and they were quite extraordinary. The minute I put them on, especially when you're naked, it just became something totally different. Come a statue. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they were like a plinth, exactly. And so, um, just thinking about that, what, what role did sort of desire and eroticism play for you in this series? I mean, is that something you were trying to challenge or play with? I think that, that aspect of it was the thing that I only realised when I got the first set of contacts back, that how present that was. And that was a shock, actually. And, but it was also the thing that made me interested and made me continue with the series. Because that was exactly what I was saying about the ingredient that makes it out mm. of control. And do, do you call these n naked or nude? Yeah, I mean, it's both. It's got both. It's neither, isn't yeah. it? You just take your kit off, really. Well... <laughs> but it turns there? into a work well, of art, yes. in that sense, uh, it is. Yes, so, so that's the point of the butchery, that's yeah. the but point I of the, the fiction, But I think the expectation, like. yes. in, for me, the expectation for me and for them was that I would... Yeah. take my clothes off, be naked. Yeah. But, it's but I think the realisation was that you are a nude in that, you know, that you become this, like you say, a fiction, which is related to all these other images of women. And also maybe, but also maybe that's very real in, mm. and that's where the erotic comes and, in. And it also, I think, in, in some way, challenge. I mean, I, I, Adrian's um, idea about the nude as a fiction, I think is a very nice one, but I think mm. it doesn't, I, I don't think it, like all of these definitions, it doesn't entirely work. Mm. And I think this is one thing that challenges it. And, uh, and also, you know, on a much more kind of domestic level, um, you know, Barbie dolls challenge it. Mm. Because mm. naked Barbie dolls are fictions. Yes. And yet we they're not nude. No. And so, mm. I mean, I do think that every time you, you think you've got something to to kind of get a grip on, to say, right, okay, so, right, you know, that's nude and that's naked. Y mm. You find that images like this yes. one come along to say, can't be so sure, darling, mm. you know, you can't be so... And that's, I think, you know, th this is the, the opposite, really, for me, of the Barbie doll. The Barbie mm. doll challenges that mm. from one direction, and this challenges it from the other. Adrian, let me ask you something slightly different, which is... We think in the history of art, and I suppose the exhibition, to some extent, um, fulfills that sense of the binary in terms of gender and identity mm. and sexuality. Not completely, of course, as you've already shown in the Signorellis. But where does the whole notion of queerness sort of come into this, and how does it, particularly thinking about, about nakedness or nudes today in art, where do different identities come into play? Well, I, I, I think... You know, where I'd give a, necessarily in this way, it doesn't have to be glib, but a short answer. I think that if we're talking about the queer, nakedness has pretty much nothing to do with it as such. There's no essential relationship at all. But if you're talking about gay, you know, male-male desire, then clearly it's in the images and it's in the viewing and you have a slightly different viewing. But that can occur also whether it's clothed or not. 
So, you know, when I was about 14, I completely fell in love with Titian's man with a glove in the Louvre, which was thoroughly dressed. I mean, he couldn't be more dressed except one of his gloves is off. And um, <laughs> both, maybe, I can't remember now. And, but this Titian that's in here, the Venus Anna Domini, I find so bland. And, you know, that's the point where you, you part company with someone called a great artist and say he really didn't get it. And so, but I think, you know, some of the queerest religious images I know are the ones which are the most clothed. I think I mentioned to one of your conversations, one in Madrid of monks asleep round a table and the miracle is occurring, which is their lamb chops or pork chops are all turning into a vegetable. But when they wake up, all these monks who are fully clothed are going to wake up and see something that looks surprisingly like a dick in their dish. You know, and you're suddenly told that, yes, maybe that's what they want. And, 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 and it's nothing to do with vegetarianism and St. Hugo converting them all to love animals more. But it's to do with, it, it's one of the queerest images I know, and it couldn't be more clothed if it tried. Even their, you know, their cows are down over their faces, there's nothing to see. So I think one has to detach these things from each other and say that, whereas the gay you can crudely say is more to do with a desire for that, the queer is to do with a set of changing relationships again. And I think so that's I don't see I that meant. this is outside the framework of the queer at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much within that, in that you shift from... And I want to choose an image here which I find utterly queer. It's the big dosso dossi of the the nude reclining in the foreground. With the, because when you look at that, you've nowhere to put yourself. And that, if any of you going to walk backwards and forwards in that in front of the gallery, and at about 40 metres from it, I think, you see that the gesture of the old woman actually is pointing at you. Whereas when you're up against it, you can't see who's looking where. That's queer to me. That, that's the frame of viewing. So that nude, if you like, in that painting, was at the center of it, is blocked. You really can't see her in terms of the way the gaze and the image works. I suppose part of my question, though, is about how our changing notions of identity and mm. gender and sexuality now in the 21st century Would you slip on might be... image one? Your image? Yes. Yeah, of course. Might be changing our that, ideas. No, the back, 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 back. This one? No, back. This is an image by the Russian sort of punk artist who lives in New York called Slava Magutin, who was very popular in the kind of Musafa, Fakir Musafa circles and Ron Athey circles, you know, people who hang themselves by devices from ceilings and so on and so on. Extreme so on. body art. Extreme body art, yes, that's the word. I didn't have it in my fingertips. <laughs> and yeah. what I... But this is part of, if like, Magutin attacking the decline of the public nude on Tumblr. Because those of you who know about these websites or may not know that Tumblr was one of the sites on which really off-the-field identity politics emerged. You know, every form of trance, every form of perversion, inverted cause, emerged was seen and seeable through Tumblr. And it became a kind of dating site, actually, as well as many other things. And that's been closed down. You know, even Rubens nudes appearing on Tumblr tend to get crossed out. And Magutin, this is part of his war against Tumblr, if you like. But I think it's, again, what I was saying, that it, it's complicating the question of who looks at what and how. So the, nude, the male nude here becomes a kind of incident in a story which could turn into 
scatological sex you'll see if you made a video, or it might just turn out to be an elegant narcissistic shot of Magutin's own tattoos. You, you don't, in the end, know quite what it's pointing at or what it's about. But at the same time, it's embedded in a kind of gay queerness, if you like. Can I push, just can I push a bit area. further on that? Because, yes, please. Because, um, I mean, I'm, I wonder about this, this question of um, gender identity yes. in all this. And I think that uh, if I were to you know, make a wild and unsubstantiated claim or um, a big question, I would say, look, um, for thousands of years now, one thing, although we've, uh, and it's partly because of that, we've debated the, the naked human body because we have seen that it's in that nakedness that somehow a, a really important part of our gender identity resides. Now, you know, of course, we, we have all, inevitably, how could we not have problems with that and how could we not debate it? But somehow um, the naked human body is, has... Uh, uh, you know, has done a huge amount of work in the construction of our, yes. our, our sense of identity, gender and sexual identity. Now, if you were to say, look, what's happening now in, in terms of that? And you're going to say, you know, whatever debates about, uh, about trans politics is, one of the things we're doing is we're asking, um, does the form of the body determine our gender identity. Now, if we can actually, you know, whatever, whatever we answer to that, almost inevitably, I mean, I think that takes some of this, that, that partly pulls the plug on the nude. Yes. In a way, if I'm going to, if I'm going to look ahead, I'm going to say, maybe the nude stays in numbered. Because mm. we're not any longer going to think that that is where we're seeing a person as they really are. Mm. And, that, I mean, that goes... Part, I mean, I think that, that a lot of, of queer imagery still basically takes up um, a fairly... You know, it, it flips, but it takes up yeah, a yes, but that, traditional that, form of image-making. And there's a much more radical horizon that we might have to look at. Yeah, so that, that's why I, I want to say it in this image. What, in, if anything, interests me. I don't know whether... I just chose it because I think Magutin is a contentious... You know, controversial, as they yes. say. It should have been labelled controversial before you came in, then you could have all left. <laughs> um, is that, in the end, the complexity of the looks in it, have if you follow done, that literally, done, brings yes. it yes. nearer to that um, yes. doso dossi yes. than it does yes. to contemporary gay queer yes. culture. Yes. Yes. So I really want yes. to abstract the queer entirely into this question of relationality you're talking yes. about. And coming to the trans question, I think that's where you say with Jack Halberstam's book, Trans. The brilliant thing about that book is the, the asterisk after trans. Because when Halberstam says trans asterisk, you have to think the whole of your knowledge, again, everything, not just sex, but everything, yes. in terms of sticking asterisks into your text. You know, there's a delay. It brings about a delay in how we think about things, the asterisk. And the way in which Halberstam does that philosophically is to yeah. write about trans asterisk. I'm just going to flick onto an image. Um, the, maybe the trans one you... Yeah, I was going to say, of a, of a very interesting trans artist. This is an artist called Castles, 
who was born in Heather Castles and is now just known by his surname. And he said, interestingly, our bodies are sculptures formed by society's expectations. My body is my medium. And this does just touch a little bit on what Mary was just mentioning mm. here, because, and, and also the continuum that you're talking about. Because I think this artist's work, and actually he now likes people to refer to him as they rather than he or she. So their work is very much about the body, about body cultures, cultures of fitness and the ideal body. But also, as you can see here, they're forming this sculpture out of kicking and punching and this sort of aggressive um, aesthetic that's come from the body lifting kind of, you know, um, bodybuilding studios out into the public arena. But I think of that, that idea of the body as a form of social sculpture is very interesting now. And this does, for me, undo so much of the history of who is the onlooker, who is the, you know, mm. who's the subject, who's the object, the male, the female, mm. the idea of power, so much of it. I mean, I think this sort of work, for me, is changing the nature, as you said, Mary, of what the nude can be, as well as, of course, the bigger picture in society of what the body represents and who we are. Can I, can I ref just reference something, and you can drop it if you want, but it makes me think of maybe a much earlier model, which was years ago, John, John Paul Bondino's photographs of Grace Jones. Now, I think they caused a huge stir on the, on the social scene because he took a famous black model, did her in extravagant postures without clothes, we'll just say without clothes for now, but cut and recut, and then not Photoshop, but you know, did whatever you did before Photoshop over the photographs, <laughs> brushed over and airbrushed <laughs> to create these coherent images which were quite impossible. They were true fictions. And I think one of the problems was feminists of, say, Andrew Dworkin thing, saying this is, this is violence against women. I'm just giving these instances. Another would people say, it's abusing a black woman. Another would say, it's a black woman demanding this collaboration in order to be present. And that brings me to a question I just want to lay down, and then you can drop it or pick it up, of the whiteness of all the figures in this exhibition, mm. which I think, again, is theologically important. Because at the period, because had you had a black nude, you couldn't theologically have one, which was beautiful, because the black theologically, are the offsprings of Ham, who are the black people of Africa and have fallen out of religion. So it's kind of very complex where we inhabit spaces that maybe touch us without our even being aware of them. It's a science fiction-y sort of thing. So to me, the, 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 the whiteness of this exhibition is both so overdetermined, it's hard even to think about what it means, and at the same time, it's like living in a, 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 a theological science fiction where we're not allowed to see the black. And so I'd like to go back to Mondino and say that it kind of is a beginning of this process that you and, um, and, and Jemima are talking about and that Mary's picking out. But I think that's a fascinating point because it goes back to your original idea that the whole of the nude is a conceit. Mm. It's a construct. And I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I don't know, Jemima, thinking about other artists of a similar generation to you who've been working. I mean, actually, this is another Catherine Opie. Um, again, I just thought interesting to throw into the mix because this was a photo of her in the 90s called Pervert. And rather disturbingly, you can actually see that she's just been tattooed 
she's still got the scar of it with the word pervert, which was an absolute sort of embracing of her identity in the kind of sexual underground in San Francisco. And this rather wonderful image of her 10 years later, where you can still see the scar quite faintly now, of course, and she's breastfeeding her son. I mean, I'm interested in these images of otherness and difference. And this is where, I mean, we haven't, I'm not sure if we've got images racially and ethnically that are different here, but certainly identity-wise are very different. And I don't know, Jemima, thinking about some of these other artists who've been working in the same <coughs> sort of era as you, um, another one I was thinking of was Jenny Savile, is just, again, kind of in what ways you think the nude can be is a really live subject for artists today. <laughs> Mary says not. She says it's dying. No, I, I don't, I I'm, I'm not saying it is dead. I'm just I'm fast forwarding fifty years. Yes. Mm. I'm Can suggesting I? that it it might cease to speak to us yes. in the way that oh. it does now. Mm. I, yeah, go on, Jemima. I think I think the work that I was made was making then and, and uh, I think I'm interested in well I'm, at that point I was very preoccupied with sex, actually. Like not, and I think that's maybe a connection to those Catherine Opie ones, not so much to this, but, but in terms of how do you depict those really passionate drives? And for me, it was sort of frustrating that that, in a way, that idea of the image kind of interfered with being able to express something kind of directly. Mm. And I guess that's maybe what we've been talking about as the nude or something. But... Um, so I don't think that some kind of representation of the body being compelling is going to go away. I mean, I just think, well, I would think it would be a real shame if it did, because it's so exciting. It's, and I think that it's great for it to be blown away, like you say, like by ideas of queerness and stuff. And I think it's really interesting what you were saying about the lack of black imagery. I hadn't thought about it at all. Mm -hmm. But what I did notice about that exhibition, it really struck me. It was one of my favourite pieces in it was the elderly bather. Yes. From... I don't know those of you who've seen it. That's like very this small. size, yes. wooden, you know, with the ancient yes. Yes. kind yes. of sagging breasts. And, and that is not an idealised body. Little, and it's one little of the wood, very, little very little few. wooden one, yes. It yeah. is Yeah, and I think, what's that section called? Something like... Um, I can't remember, but it's, or it's beyond the ideal or something like that. And actually, I think that it's the only body that is like that, because the other ones are the kind of San Sebastian, who's yeah, also mm. a different kind yeah. of um, yeah. desirable image in a way. But that's the only one where you really feel the body is the body. Well, there's the Jesus, really... too. There's the, there's the Gosset, the Herculean Jesus, who's supposed to be Jesus on the cold slab, which clearly is nothing to do with... Uh, Jesus actually is just. But funny enough, that old but, woman bather actually interestingly connects a little bit in a way to the Jenny Savile for me because but it's no about. Other, but where are the old, the old imagery is yes. still absolutely yeah. taboo. Yeah. But and, it, and yeah. yeah, and so moving when you see it. You mean imagery yeah. of in the general, body of, yeah. of the of aging of the age of or yeah. infirm or whatever. Yeah. I agree. I do. I do think that's still a subject of, of no, taboo. It does go back to the classical world. May I point out? But no, I, no, I shall go on, Shirley. You, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got there first. Um, <laughs> but, but I, you know, I really, really like Jenny Savile's work. I'm really, and yet, you know, when you kind of then take up what you've been saying about fiction, you know, and I, I look at this stuff and I think this is just a different kind of fiction. Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, actually, these images of 
um, of non-orthodox bodies mm. you know we're in gothic horror we're in we're in a different form of yes. we're in postmodern novels here but we're still in fiction mm. um you know and although half of me wants to say look i don't think that that distinction between the real body and the fictional body works as mapping onto the naked and the nude um mm. what savile seems to me to be doing is, you know, really having fun with a different form of fiction. You know, and so much so that you've got a lump of meat in her knee. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're actually, you are really in the Hampstead mm. butcher here. And she did, <laughs> you know, she did work in the Palermo butchers. That's where, you know, yeah. she went and she drew all this, um, all these great sides of meat. And, you, you know, that's a ham. Mm. <laughs> yes, and unlike Lucian Freud, I think, who gets it all wrong. So I think that's, again, yes. a distinction what a woman yeah. can do. And, yeah. Why do you uh, say Freud gets it all wrong? He doesn't know how to paint. <laughs> I, I, gave a, I gave a lecture about that Lofty, to Tate once. Says. I won't resume it now, but he's, <laughs> he really has no idea how to paint. It's as simple as that. He gets it wrong. But I think the way he tries to look at bodies is, is actually limited. He, he can't do what Savile does. He can't. His distortions are somehow... I don't know, they're sort of offensive just because he sees them. Even if it's real, his seeing of it, for me, is always offensive. Well, the purpose, obviously, is completely different because yes. Jenny Savile, and this is a work from the mid-90s, yes. was all about combating ideas of the idealised news yes. that go back to antiquity and certainly theoretically go back to Clark and, and the, those first writers on the nude in the early 20th century because this was all about... Yeah. fat as the kind of anti-thin mm. and uh, as we say it is a fictionalized body still and certainly the angles the very photographic dramatic angles are intended to highlight one thing and diminish another in the way of fiction but obviously it was about attempting to do um i suppose back all the way back to corbet in the mid-19th century to expose something of the realism of life well, through the body although to, i think also to expose the sense that the idealism is our idealism, mm. as we look at it. Yes. You know, we have constructed the mm. ideal classical nude and its trajectory mm. through the Renaissance. Mm. Um, uh, if you go back and look at the range of visual images from either antiquity or, uh, well, as the, the, the naked elderly bather shows, mm. that, you know, it's... You know, it, it's terribly easy to kind of blame the artists of the past for foisting on us um, a version of the ideal nude. We have foisted on them yeah. uh, a version of the ideal nude. Well, and that, I suppose, connects to this idea of what still has the power to shock us today. Because actually, just to uh, pull back up that corbet, I think I'm going in the wrong direction, everyone, I'm sorry. Bear with me. Um, but, you know, that Corbet image, which I'm sure many of you will know, um, this is 1866. This is Corbet's painting called The Origin of the World, which was hugely controversial then, probably commissioned, uh, people think, for um, a Turkish diplomat who was passing through Paris and who had an, an, an erotica collection, uh, an erotic art collection. But it's still shocking today. I mean, I was telling the panellists just before you all came in that you can actually see there's a little sort of copyright note here because this is in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. But it's almost impossible to find this image on the internet without something like a hand or something <laughs> over the offending part. Um, and interestingly, there was a Facebook case a few years ago where a French 
uh, I think school teacher, I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. this, um, a French school teacher put a link to a, a film about this Courbet painting and it was taken down by Facebook as, uh, as obscene. Uh, and they have changed their policies since then. But I'm quite interested in this idea of what still shocks today and about taboo. What, if any, are the subjects that are still untouchable for artists when it comes to the naked body? Can you put Smoglerius on? I'm probably going to go in the wrong direction again. you have to bear with me. There. Uh, there, there. I mean, I, I, you know, this, I, I chose this one because it's actually in the Academy Galleries. Mm -hmm. And it, this never fails to upset me, really shocks me. Uh, much more, I mean, Courbet, I suppose I grew up with as being, you know, a great work of avant-garde art, fine, you know. Um, th this is, you know, apparently, I mean, it's hugely mythologized. It's in the Royal Academy's collection. It is um, a plaster cast, a second generation plaster cast of a uh, hanged smuggler um, who has been flayed and then put into the position of the famous ancient statue of the dying Gaul. And, you know, if there's any kind of place where I think, uh, again, just in a sense with your work, actually, to mama, the, the, the boundary between not just fact and fiction in the representation of the naked body, but the boundary between a real dead, you know, mm. that is at some level a dead body. Mm. And it's also, it has been reconstructed as one of the most famous naked images of a male yeah. hero that you could possibly, and I think it is, I, mean, I think it's wonderful that it's on display, but I notice people walking past it in the galleries upstairs as if it was, well, they don't even notice it's flayed, I think. Mm. And there, I think you see, I, I, that's made in, originally made in 1766, and I can't... I, it shocks me, you know, more than any Courbet. Well, and there are many contemporary artists who have tried, some succeeded, some not, to work with dead bodies. bodies. And that's yeah, always that's an absolute flashpoint for news stories yes. and for people yes. being horrified. Yeah. I mean, there have yes. been artists who wanted... Yes. I mean, Bill Viola, yeah. actually, at the yes. moment, in the main exhibition, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, an, his amazing triptych of a birth. And I forget what the middle one is, actually. But then there's a death yes. Um, yes. No. on the right-hand screen, yeah. and that still has the power to shock. Yeah. I mean, Jemima, are there things for you? I know your work has moved on from photography to performance, and maybe we'll just very briefly talk about that. But, yeah, tell us a little bit about your more recent work and why you're still working with the body clothed and naked. Um, well, I think that one of the things that I was looking at in the works that we looked at before was... Uh, yeah, about this body as a kind of image and, and how I related or how a woman would relate to those images. Um, so I was kind of putting myself in and out of that frame. But a lot of that was also about who's, who's making the... Who, where the audience is and who's making the image and who's seeing it. So the thing of being in and out of the frame was important for me. And at some point, I, I decided to move behind the camera and I started filming these musicians um, who were very beautiful young men uh, who and playing a work called She Looked Back, uh, Jemima Staley Films, If Lucy Fell Naked. So I was, when this was their gig, and they were, um, this is in Lisbon, in Portugal, and they were quite a 
well thought of alternative hardcore band and very, they didn't play that often so their audiences were always very excited. And when I did this work, there was uh, all these sort of 19 year old boys sort of practicing their Mokoto moves because the guy you saw on the floor, he does this incredible sort of dancing at certain points in the show. And so they're all practicing, and it's all very noisy. It was like a proper gig venue. It wasn't an art thing at all. And um, we all came on, and as, as, we, as we came up to get the, get the equipment, I took my clothes off, got my camera, and they put all their gear on. And there was absolute dead silence. And it was, it's it wonderful. was shock. <laughs> and uh, it was the most terrifying piece of work I ever made. And then... But then once they started playing, because their music is like really full on and it's really fantastic music as well, um, then nobody, nobody gave a damn what I was up to. So I was walking around filming and um, so that all of it is this very close-up shot like that you saw, that's Gaza, the bass player. And I was thinking, when I started making this work, I actually said to the band, you know, you're kind of my muse, I was thinking of... So I was thinking about that shifting position. Um, and I made a whole lot of work. Not, a lot of it, I'm not naked. But at this point, they kept saying to me, oh, we want a naked piece, we want a naked piece. So, but I liked this idea, like, can you put... You don't have any of the other stills, but this was a shot that was taken by one of the audience members during the performance. But really, you should know about the nakedness from the title that I just said, so it's kind of in your head that the woman is naked, but you're actually looking at this other footage. And so um, what was important to you about being naked? Why not just be on stage with them, I think performing I would, with the camera as they're performing their music to the audience? Maybe it relates a bit to some of the things you were talking about, about like queering the mm. position and making that a bit more obvious. I think, I think there's a, for one, there's a kind of cliche about uh, groupies and bands. And there's a great image, actually, of a... I can't remember what band it is. One of those big prog rock bands with a, who always has a naked girl dancer from the <laughs> early 70s. So there, was, there is that part of it. But also, I was just... I was kind of fascinated in how... Well, I'm always filming them playing. So that's why I waited to the point where it goes back into his hands, because I'm always trying to get the point of them playing, and it's all about their hands. But I was really... Um, I guess, absolutely in love with that in a desiring, you know, kind of way, that whole image of the body. And I want it to, to feel very sexual in that sense of being. And, but for them to be, so they are, so I'm sort of expressing my desire through that handheld. You couldn't see it so much, but a lot of it is me moving around. So there's a lot of sense of the handheld thing. So I'm always present. Um, but my is. body is the naked, it's a working body, it's the camera, I'm the camera body, you know. But it seems to me you're also, in many ways, purposefully distracting the audience from sort of what is the thing I want to be experiencing and engaging. Mm -hmm. Is it this, yeah. this woman in well, her nakedness, or is it the band, or is it both? And but it was interesting, because I think that moment where everything went absolutely silent, it was all about... The naked woman, so that sense of mm. that image was very present. But once the music start happened, I, that, nobody cared about that. I was pushing these guys out of the way to get past. But, but it, it, the funny thing is, again, the cultural relativism, relativism of all that. And this is why I think when we talk in these generalities, we, all, we have to think about the absolute singularity of so many of these experiences which we put into 
theoretical generalities, because, I mean, had you done that in New York around about the time of the late, now late, Carolee Schneeman's prime, yes. everyone would have said, not again. <laughs> There'd been a kind of... <laughs> Oh God, Carrie's done that, you know, <laughs> overdone that for the last 10 years. So I, I think that there are the singularities of the moments, and that's why it's worth persisting, if well, you I like. I don't know if it's the same as that, because I think in that no, period there was focus on... Yes. Yeah, because, because here... But I'm trying to say it's very different. It's but absolutely singular. this is about singular. the body being yes. ignored, in a sense. Yes. In a sense, it's like yes. a, side, a footnote. Yes. The nakedness is a footnote. Yes. Which is why this image is a bit distracting. Yes. No, I think we're, agree, we're agreeing yeah, about yeah. that, and it, it's... Um, and I think that what, what most shocks one is, as I said, with, the, with like the, the, the monks with their endive in Seville, there's a Max Beckman portrait of a man in a dinner jacket which never fails to shock me. And that's because there's a little bit of pink on his cuff. And the same pink only occurs again on the guy's cheek. And every time I see that painting, I blush. I mean, I don't know, it's completely indecent. You know? <laughs> And that's what I mean by a singularity. I think that's what I like about that, is that mm. you've really honed in on that moment when there would be a silence. Mm. And that's something, actually. Mm. What do you think, Mary? Do you think it's... I mean, it seems to come from what you were saying about yeah. not being able to stick to the fiction. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think the most interesting stuff... Uh, uh, there's a lot of Chabana stuff here, is when you... It, it means that you're not sure, you can't any longer be sure whether the nude is, is a fictional creation for high art mm. or whether it's us with our clothes off. Mm. And that it's the fact that you can't ever pin that down. And, you, uh, and this kind of enactment, um, I including in this in the audience member's photograph, that just... Just kind of highlights that that problem, and it highlights the problem that you've you know you know you've never been able to you know actually be certain which side of the barrier it lies. So that mm. you know, just like the little um, you know the the elderly bather in, in wood, is that kind of a nice sense of realism, or is it a very clever bit of art? Is it somebody saying, oh, stuff all these great kind of, you know, perfect bodies. I'm going to do the body as it really is. Or is it someone saying, you know, doing the, what I think is a Jenny Savile trick, which is I'm going to re-fictionalise the body. Mm. But then there's another a layer moment. even on that work, yeah. which I think the interpretation in the exhibition says, which is about how this, this old woman is sort of coyly covering herself or going like into the movement of covering herself just like the Aphrodite Actually, does. Yeah. Um, I think... I just want to say, say one thing about this thing about dressing. It depends who you are, where you are, what your money is, how you're being... There are so many factors in it. And I, I had a conversation with a patron at the Department of University of Leeds once, Audrey Burton, who was the heiress of the Burton shopman. And she saw me as a sympathetic interlocutor, I thought, and I had a long conversation with her about which vintage Jean Muir dress you wear at which event. <laughs> And whether 1959 or 62 for the vice chair, and I thought, gosh, I was so envious. <laughs> I just have to say, I was envious. <laughs> but, you, but you see, people often say about me, they say, oh, there's that woman from the telly, doesn't care what she looks like. They don't realise 
I care a very deeply, great yeah, deal deeply, yes, I about agree what I look you. like. And there is nobody in the world except my mad sociopaths who don't care very deeply. Just, I've chosen not to look like you, darling. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, maybe that moment. I'm sorry to cut it a little bit short, though. <laughs> Maybe that moment of us being, us being dressed again is a, is a good one to end a discussion of the nude on. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. And um, I wish we could go on for longer. As, uh, as Jackie has said, we could keep this conversation going on all evening. But alas, we must bring it to a close. And without further ado, I'd just like to say thank you very much to Jackie, Mary, Jemima and Adrian for such an in-depth and fantastic discussion tonight. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this recording, feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.